Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. So let's just pray right now. So Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Uh, Lord, we thank you that your spirit just wants to take us to new places and we say yes to that, God. We want that. And Lord, we ask that you just guide our time now in that uh, as we're doing a series that's a little different than most of our series, we pray that your grace would just cover it, uh, that you would speak to us, that anything, Lord, that's of you, that it would just stir our hearts and that it would just go deep within, and anything that's not, it would just fall away and it would be forgotten. And we want to know your truth, we want to know your life, we want to know your freedom. And so we welcome you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So good, so good to be with you this weekend. So um, I want to tell you a little bit about my, uh, the worst teacher I ever had. And it was at Colorado State University. It was my philosophy class. And uh, we were talking about, uh, I don't even remember which philosophers, like Foucault or Derrida or something like that. And he was going on and, you know, saying like, well, everything's a construct, right? So sexuality, it's just a construct. We just created it. And religion, that's just a construct. And this is a construct, that's a construct. And so I raised my hand and I said, uh, Mr. Philosophy Professor, sir, isn't, uh, isn't saying that everything is a construct, isn't that a construct? And uh, he said, ah, He said, ah, you've used the philosopher's own words against him. He said, but, and this is what made him the worst teacher ever. He said, but don't even try. He said, these guys are so smart that you you can't even touch them. Don't even try. And to me, I was like, isn't that kind of like the opposite of teaching? Like, isn't the whole point of teaching like engage and try? And he was telling me not to. And we're doing this new series right now. It's called Honest Doubts. And that's how many of us, I think how many of us as Christians, we go through, I mean, listen, these doubts come. And a lot of us are like, oh, well, don't even think about it. Don't even try. Just stay away from that thing. And then it starts to move to panic. Anybody ever have that before? You're having these doubts, like one little question comes and it builds and you start thinking, I'm a horrible Christian. And then like, am I even a Christian at all? And it just comes from like these little doubts and these little questions. And listen, first of all, I just want to tell you, relax calm down, okay? It's all right when these questions come. Your faith is not so fickle that one little question will crumble. It's not so fickle that that a multitude of questions will take your faith down because any truth that is truth, it's not afraid of questions. It's not afraid of searching. I mean, you could dig in. In fact, if you will go through the question and you'll work through the question, your faith actually comes out clearer and it comes out stronger. Listen, the word of God can handle your questions. The truth of God can handle your doubts. And would God, would God be God if everything about him agreed with your sensibilities? I mean, would he still be God if we're like, yeah, I, I got him figured out. I have God in my box. Would he still be God? Of course it's gonna challenge what you think. Of course the truth is bigger than us. And listen, your relationship with God, my relationship with God, it's kind of like my relationship with Gina. And I know, now I'm confident that Gina is faithful, I'm confident that she loves me, but I know there must have been times where she thought, what am I doing with this guy? Like, what have I done? 
especially when we first started. So we were pretty young, I was 22 when we got married. And I don't know, I, I was like, I treated her more like a, like a frat brother than my wife. And, and so like, she would like take a shower and then I would go and I'd get freezing cold water and I'd put ice in the bucket, you know, and I'd just dump it around. Or then I, or I'd take the, uh, the little sprayer on the sink and I'd wrap it with a twisty tie and you know, she'd turn it on and shoot all over. One time she said, honey, you're my lover, not my brother. Stop it. Listen, guys, don't do that. Cherish your wife. But I just didn't know any better. I was just so immature. And there had been, I know there was times then, and I think there's times now, where she's just like, what did I do? I don't know. But listen, her doubts and her questions are not unfaithfulness. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Her faithfulness is proven in her doubts and questions, right? I mean, what's courage? Courage, I don't think courage is the absence of fear. It's going forward despite our fears. And how about love? Love isn't a feeling, right? It's despite the feelings that when we don't have the feelings, we choose to do what everything says in 1 Corinthians 13, to be patient, to to be kind, to not envy, to not boast. So if that's courage, and if that's love, wouldn't real faith, wouldn't that be believing even when we're not 100% sure? Isn't that what faith is? It's like, I don't have this all completely nailed down. I'm not sure how this all works, but God, I'm gonna go forward with you. I'm gonna hang on to you, even in the midst of these big questions. So that's what this series is about. And our big question this week is just one that's just, it's just going crazy right now in culture. You see it everywhere. And it's this fight between, is it God or science? Which one do you believe in? Is it faith or is it rational thought? Which one? Well, you know what? That is a false dichotomy. Now imagine, like like I said to you, okay, now you're walking down the street and you see a $20 bill and you see a $50 bill. Which one do you pick up? The answer is both, right? Some of you are like, oh, I'm just gonna get the 50. No, you can have both of them. They're right there. And see, that's what I do. Is it God or science? Is it your brain or is it your heart? No, no, no. Listen, I'm not following my brain or my heart. I'm following truth and I am engaging it with my brain and my heart. Listen, you need to use your brain. God gave you that. We're not supposed to turn these things off. You're not, I hope you're not checking your brain out at the door when you come in here. I hope you're engaging and you're using it. I mean, what comes, what comes after someone says, just don't think about it? Isn't the next thing usually a trip to the ER? <laughs> think about it. And listen, if you, be careful, be careful about a faith, about a doctrine, about a curriculum, about a philosophy, or anything that says you cannot examine it and you can't question it. Be careful. If someone says, don't think about this at all, listen, God gave you your brain. It's a gift and we connect with him through our thoughts. We connect to him through our mind. It's a wonderful thing. But at the same time, be careful of a faith that doesn't connect with the heart. So we use both. I mean, anybody here want a relationship? How many of you would sign up for a marriage? Like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that we pay the rent together and, and we'll collaborate on our bills and we'll coordinate our schedules and you know, we'll pick up our kids, but, but we're not gonna connect, we're not gonna love, and we're not gonna feel any passion. Anybody want that marriage? Why would you want that in your relationship with Jesus? Why would you wanna walk with God that's just all up here? See, that's called religion. It's cold and it's sterile. 
And we do both. It's the 20 and the 50. God gave you your heart and God gave you your brain. And so this question, well, is it faith or is it science? Well, first of all, understand this. Science is simply discovering and understanding what God made and how he put it together. Science is actually just an exploration of God's hand and what he's like and what he does. Science points to God. Louis Pasteur said it like this. The more I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the creator. Science brings men nearer to God. And if you don't agree with him, maybe like what Albert Einstein had to say about it. And he said, the more I study science, the more I believe in God. So what's the problem? Well, people would say, well, it's scripture. It's scripture and science that they stand in conflict with one another. You know, is it creation or is it evolution? Did the flood happen? What about these archaic ideas about the world? Well, we believe and I believe that this is God's word, that it is inspired by God. And so if there's a conflict between science and scripture, one of two things is happening. One possibility is that science does not have the complete answer or it doesn't have the right answer. There's a possibility of bias or, or maybe just not, we just don't have the full story. Listen, this has happened many, many times. Now, some of you are too young to remember this, but does anybody here remember Y2K? <laughs> what did they tell us was gonna happen? What did the experts say? I mean, the whole world is gonna blow up, right? Did you know that in America, companies spent $100 billion to fix Y2K? Do you know how much they spent in Italy? Almost nothing. Do you know what happened in Italy? The exact same thing that happened in America? Nothing. We were wrong. They were wrong. The experts were wrong. In 1996, I remember, this is one of my favorite ones. There's this article because it says that everything has changed because they found a rock that was from Mars. And they said, this rock proves there was life on Mars. And there was just all the, in fact, I remember President Clinton even talked about it. And then about three years later, there was a little tiny headline that said, oops, we were wrong. <laughs> nope, it didn't prove anything. It was actually stuff from Earth that we thought was from Mars. Sometimes science gets it wrong, right? So that's one thing, is we don't have the complete picture yet, we just don't know. Here's the second thing that could be happening is we're making scripture say something that scripture's not saying. And I think like our worst example is Galileo, or one of our bad examples, right? And during the Inquisition, he was declared a heretic because he said, actually, no, the, the sun doesn't go around the earth. The earth isn't the center of the universe. And they actually, they declared, well, you're kicked out of the church, you're a heretic. And did you know it wasn't until 1993 that the Catholic Church rescinded that? Took them a little while. Sometimes it takes us a little while to admit our mistakes. And, and so what they did is they were looking at Psalm 113.3, and they said, well, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So the earth must be the center. That scripture proves it right there. Galileo, you're a heretic. But that's not what that scripture's saying. Where they were making that scripture say something it wasn't saying. It's just saying that everybody who sees the sun come up and everybody who sees it comes down should praise God. I mean, if we're gonna cancel the Bible for that passage, then we have to cancel little orphan Annie because the sun will not come out tomorrow. 
We will turn around and get to the other side and see it. The sun will always be there. But you can't sing, well, the sun, will. we'll see the sun again tomorrow when the earth turns on its axis and we get to the other side. That song doesn't work, right? And so when little Orphea and Annie sings, the sun will come out tomorrow. We're like, we get it. It's just from our perspective. See, and sometimes we make scripture say something that it's not saying. And we don't have to cancel Annie and we don't have to cancel the Bible. I love what Francis Schaeffer, the theologian, Swiss theologian, when he said this, is, if you bring up uh, Francis Schaeffer's quote on this, he says, there's a tendency among many today to consider that the scientific truth will always be more true. Be careful about that. In fact, he says this we must reject. We must take ample time and sometimes that means a long time. In fact, I think sometimes that can mean more than our lifetime to consider whether the apparent clash between science and revelation means that the theory set forth by science is wrong or whether we must reconsider what we thought the Bible says. And I love the title of the book it comes from, No Final Conflict. And what he's saying is when we have the full picture from science and we have an accurate understanding of scripture, there is no conflict. There will be no final conflict. Scripture, listen, I know scripture will be proved true. And once we have both, it'll come together. So speaking of scripture, let's see what the Bible says about this topic. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18, Paul tells us, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. If God could make a mistake, his biggest mistake would be so far above our very, very best effort, the most beautiful thing we could do. And so we come to this problem where we say, well, I think it's Escalito and Nacho Libre. Well, I only believe in science. And we have this problem, I only believe in science. But my question to you is, is for what? What do you mean? What do you mean I only believe in science? So you only believe in science for the questions, the answers to our questions? Well, sure, I mean, if you wanna know what Mars is like, and isn't that amazing? Did anybody see that drone that released over Mars? That, oh, that was so cool. And like what the brain is like. I love hearing about brain research and how our brains work. And, and I love how it lines up with scripture about renewing our minds. Just, oh, it's so amazing. But listen, there are some questions that science can't answer. Like, how about the real questions? Like, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Or, or the question that science has never ever been ever to ans- able to answer. What will the weather be like in Colorado tomorrow? <laughs> Always gets it wrong. So what do you mean I only believe in science? Do you mean, do you mean it for the answers to our problems? I mean, I hope science fixed some of our problems. You know, I, you know what I pray? God, would you please bring an answer to cancer? 
I'm so sick of cancer. Lord, just help them figure it out. And I hope science gets that one. But, but let's be honest, didn't science cause many of our problems? You know, there's a, a, a Belgian chemist in 1907. His name was Leo Bakelin. And he invented Bakelite. It's amazing, changed everything, changed packaging, changed the way we manufacture. You, you might know it as plastic. And it, uh, it's done amazing things for us, right? But can anyone here think of any problems that plastic has caused? Right? You know, I was hiking through uh, Rocky Mountain National Park last year and uh, I went through, I think it was like a 20 year fire. It happened about 20 years ago, if I remember right. And, and it was really, it was a huge swath of the forest. And it was kind of eerie because there's just these big poles of trees with no branches. But then you look around and it was just gorgeous. There, there were trees up about this high all over the place. And as I was walking through that, I thought, you know what? Nature never really needed our help. Not until we started messing everything up. That's when it started needing our help. And I love, I love science. But the problem is I just don't trust the nature of the scientist. Do you know why? Because the scientist has the same nature that I do. Think about this. Humans, we have the greatest intelligence of any creature that God has created, right? then why is it that we also have the greatest tendency to mess things up on a massive scale? I mean, has anyone ever heard anyone ever say, well, the dolphins, they're ruining everything. Overfishing dolphins, right? You've never heard, hey, did you hear about those prairie dogs? There's prairie dog cartels and they're trafficking mice for money. (laughs) Only humans do that. Only humans do that. Do you see in that? The real problem, it is not our lack of enlightenment. It's not that we're holding on to old myths and archaic thinking. The problem is our nature. We are made in the image of God and we are corrupted by our sin and they come together and we have this amazing potential for unimaginable greatness and beauty and unthinkable destruction and depravity at the same time right within every single one of us. And if you search your heart, you know it's true in you and I know it's true in me. And it comes out in everything we do. It's displayed in our religion. I mean, how did we get to the Inquisition where where we did that in his name, right? But then at the same time, in his name, we have a Mother Teresa and we have hospitals and we have orphanages and, and we help the homeless and do these beautiful, amazing things in his name. And it's displayed in our government where we can do things like the Holocaust. But at the same time, we have sewer systems. Aren't they wonderful? I mean, seriously. Does anyone like indoor plumbing? That's a wonderful thing from government. And yes, guess what? It is displayed in our science that the same people who created the atomic bomb created penicillin. You see our nature? See, I don't have any problem with science. My problem is the humanity of those who are in the sciences. Christianity has no problem with science. Now I have to tell you that that I do have, I have a problem with the agenda or the manipulation or the bias, often unknown to the people who bring it. I have no qualm with science, but I am frustrated right now with some of the agendas and some of the policies and some of the ideas that use that label without allowing people to vet it out and question it 
and bring another perspective. But even when, the real problem, it's not politics. The real problem, it's not a lack of data or knowledge. The real problem is our brokenness. Humanity's broken. That's the problem. You know, it's been the core problem from the beginning. And you know how it manifests? And this is the scary thing about science because we've been doing this since the very beginning. It's our belief that we know better than God. And God says, if you do it, it's gonna ruin everything. And Eve says, nah, not everything. I think I'll be okay. And God said, listen, if you intermarry with the Canaanites, you're gonna take in their gods and you're gonna believe them and you're gonna even sacrifice your own children in the fire if you do that. And you're gonna turn away from me. And they said, nah, we can take it. We can handle it. We're stronger than you think. And I'm thankful for science, but I'm afraid it could be just one more way. And I think it often becomes just one more way. We say, thanks God, but we got it. I got it now. And it's the same ancient response that we have always had. God, you know, thanks for getting things going, but we don't really need you anymore. And that response always brings destruction. It always brings pain. And really, I mean, it seems like every amazing solution that we find, that we get some unintended consequence. That we fix one thing and we break another thing. Not always. But don't you think that maybe, maybe we could use just a little bit of humility in our advancements? Maybe we could just come before him and say, you know, we need you. And it may seem like foolishness to so many people, but I am certain. I just know God's ways are better than my ways because he made it. He knows what he's doing. And, and some of them I don't get. But if I wrestle long enough and I come before God and I say, all right, Lord, I'm gonna engage your truth and I'm gonna work through this thing. Man, I, I love the answers that come and the insight that comes and the freedom and the truth that comes. Just yesterday morning, I've, I've been in my personal devotions, I'm reading Ezekiel. And Ezekiel has this vision and God shows him of this holy temple, right? And there's like two chapters of measurements Okay, it's like, and, and the walls are this many cubits and the courts are this many cubits. I mean, just, and I was like, this is a vision from heaven, God, and you're showing the measurements of the temple? What, what are you doing? I was just, I mean, not frustrated, but I just, I didn't get it. And, and, and so I'm like, okay, well, I could get mad. I get frustrated, like, oh, see, like, they just didn't know what they were talking about. But instead, I was like, Lord, just show me. Give me some insight. Help me to understand. And I looked at the commentary. That didn't really help me. And, and I think it was the Holy Spirit that asked me, as I was praying, Lord, what, what's the deal? The question came to my mind is, well, where were the Israelites when this was written? Well, they're in exile. Where was the temple? It was destroyed. What is the temple to an Israelite at that time? The place where you meet God. It's the center of everything, and it's gone. So a vision saying this is the concrete temple, these are the sizes, this exists, this is what it looks like. To an Israelite at that time, it would be like, oh, okay, God hasn't left us. There's something I could put my hands on, there's just something I can see, something I could visualize. Now, I don't know if that's the answer to that, but it's a answer. And I came out of it and I was like, wow, God, you're, you're so kind. You know how you just always meet us right where we're at. You give us what we really need and that's what they needed and you gave that to them. And that's why the message of Jesus, it's foolishness 
to those who don't believe. Do you know why? Because it offends our pride. We know. It doesn't fit our desire, our tendency to say, well, we got this. I got this all figured out. Scripture says, no, you don't. And so we say, well, that's foolishness. I've got it. And how happy is the person who can admit, I don't got this. How happy is the person that says, Jesus, I need you. And the real issue, it's not what we know. The real issue, it's not what we don't know. It's what we are. And the answer that science should give as we study, and we should see the distant galaxies, and we look at the amazing complexity and there's this world upon world, and you know what should come? It's just a humble recognition that we have an amazing creator that's so big, so vast, so complex that, that we just can't even understand it. Like Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his hands. Science should bring us to awe and wonder See, we should see our great technical advancements. And we see as we use these technical advancements as they isolate us and they depress us. I mean, depression, listen, it has never been worse in the history of the world as it is right now. And it should remind us and point out you need a relationship with your creator and your phone is not doing it for you. And with every new exciting discovery that we see, we should be amazed like, whoa, you're incredible. And we should be humbled. We don't really know what we're doing. I mean, if science has taught us anything, it's just that he's greater than we thought he was and that we need him more than we thought we did. And church, listen, this goes for us. If there's anything that the church could use right now, it's humility that we don't know it all. Even in the church, guys, we get it wrong right here. I am sure there's something in this sermon that I have already gotten wrong, and I know I'll get a couple emails telling me all about it here. Right? But we get it wrong, even here in the church. It should teach us, like, we need humility that God doesn't fit in our box. And that when we have those doubts and we have those questions, we have those things that offend us, it should just remind us that he is bigger than us. He's wiser than us and he's more powerful than us. And our greatest wisdom, it's like foolishness to him. And, and we should walk in humility that he's given us the ability to know and to learn and to discover and see so much. But that any learning that pulls us away from the knowledge of God and our connection with God, it's just going to lead to our own destruction. We need to come before him humbly that we need him. He is so great. He is so powerful and he is so beautiful and so good and science just declares his glory like everything else. You know, when I'm in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. The power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my savior, God to thee how great thou art. Oh my God, how great thou art. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in him. God bless you.